Welcome to the Unveiling Grace podcast, a place to find freedom from the shame and pressure of performance-based religion. Enjoy another episode with Lynn Wilder and Joel Grote as they and their guests share personal stories and wisdom from the Bible that just might surprise you. We invite you to experience a grace that heals. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another Unveiling Grace podcast. I'm Joel Grote. And I'm Lynn Wilder, and we have a visitor again today. Today, um, we're talking to Eric Johnson. Eric Johnson is with the ministry that's been in Utah, ministering to Mormons for many years. Mormonism Research Ministry, MRM.org. This is a wonderful ministry. If you are Mormon and you're in Utah, you want to look these folks up. Um, a few years ago, I did a series on racism from the Book of Mormon and the Book of Abraham for these folks, and they're good friends of ours. Eric has a new book coming out, and we're going to talk about that new book today. Welcome, Eric. Thanks for having me. Hey, we are delighted to have you, brother. It's been good to uh, kind of flip the mic. I've been on your, you guys' podcast, and um, so it's fun to be able to turn it around and have you over here as our guest. I was just going to ask Eric if there was anything else he wanted to tell the audience about his ministry. Well, we have been around since 1979, founded by Bill McKeever, who's the founder and president of our ministry. Uh, we live in Sandy, Utah, and do a number of things. Our website, as you mentioned, mrm.org. We have a daily podcast. We've been doing that for over 10 years called Viewpoint on Mormonism. You can go to our website and you can get on there. And uh, we have over about 3,000, over 3,000 shows that we have done. Yeah, the, there's a lot of content. We have it in an index, so you can actually look up whatever you'd like to, uh, uh, to find. But we really try our best to deal with cutting edge issues. We focus mainly on the leadership of the church, what they're saying at General Conference and what their manuals say, what, what the books that are being written say. So we, uh, we focus on a lot of that. We do speak at churches all across the nation. Uh, we, we try to stay mainly in the West, though. We go to Temple Open House events, and we do evangelism there. We, we are very big on uh, sharing our faith and informing Christians as to what Mormonism is so that we might be able to have an impact when we talk to our Latter-day Saint friends and family members. And, and to clarify, you're a Christian organization. Well, we are yes. a Christian, <laughs> evangelical Christian, uh, founded by, when Bill was a young man. Uh, he became a Christian, I think, at the age of 19, and uh, no, none of his Mormon friends ever tried to witness to him until they found out he became an evangelical Christian. So they started to bombard him, and he had to do a lot of research, and that started the whole ministry. He operated off of a typewriter. He wrote a book called Answering Mormon's Questions in 1981, just two years after he founded that, when he was in his uh, early 20s. And so he's been doing this for a long time. He's an expert on history, especially does a great job with that. But together we we've teamed up. I've been with MRM uh, since 1989, full time since 2010, when I moved to Utah to join Bill, who had moved out to Utah from Southern California in 2004. So, so Tell us how you got into ministry to Mormons. Well, that's a great question, and I get that asked a lot. Uh, it basically started in 1979 
if you heard of Jim Jones and People's Temple yeah. in Guyana. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. that's where the term don't drink the Kool-Aid comes from. A lot of younger people have never heard of that before as far as uh, Jim Jones, but a thousand people committed suicide because he told them to. They mm -hmm. had practiced drills and I was fascinated with that. I was a junior in high school attending the school where I ac actually ended up teaching for 17 years and was a Bible department head for a number of years at Christian High School in El Cajon. I was flabbergasted because this man claimed to be a Christian, and yet these people did something as foolish as uh, committing suicide. So I began to do research. Um, when people came to my doors, the, the door, the missionaries, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, I we even had children of God coming to our doors. And so I would open the door and I'd say, come on in, I want to find out more. And when I went to college, uh, Hare Krishnas would be dancing at San Diego State, I would, I would talk to them and just find out as much as I could, talk to the Muslims and other people. So I, I had a fascination with how other people believe and really wanting to know if I, if I was believing the truth. So I did a lot of research. And then I, I met up with a guy named Jeff Howell in 1980, I think it was 1984. And we ended up doing a number of things with Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, uh, and uh, New Age, and uh, a lot of research that I started to do. I, I came to Utah in 1987 to do a summer of missions. I spent the entire summer in Salt Lake City and did a lot of evangelism and fell in love with the Mormon people. And with all the groups that I had been involved with, I, I thought that this one, the, the Latter-day Saints were more likely to listen and have conversations. It was hard to talk to Jehovah's Witnesses in the New Age. Yeah. And so I ended up um, uh, meeting Bill in 1989 and, and I've been volunteering I volunteered at that time with his ministry for a number of years until I ended up deciding to come to Utah. I left uh, education to do this. I uh, went to seminary during this time. I, I do have a master's of divinity degree from Bethel Seminary, San Diego. Uh, and uh, just to use that, I never felt called to the pastorate, but I felt that uh, a ministry like Bill's was something that I was equipped to do. And that's kind of how I got involved and have been talking to Latter-day Saints for, gosh, over over 30 years. So I love that about your ministry because you're right in the heart of things and you're right. willing to step into conversations with folks who are often dug into their Mormon faith, right? And yet you're yeah. just trying to get them to kind of think outside of their little Mormon boxes. I don't get to do that a whole lot because in our ministry, pretty much people have already decided that they're questioning their faith. And then they come to us and then we kind of provide the support that they need in transition, point them to Jesus and try to get them attached somewhere locally, which could be anywhere. But a ministry like yours and ours works uh, well together. I had a pastor in Utah same to, say to me just two or three years ago, he didn't see any reason for the parachurch ministries. He thought that as a pastor, Mormons should just walk in his door, and then he could certainly take care of them. And I said to him, I don't think you understand. I sometimes work with people for four years before they exactly. ever think to step into your church. Yeah, you're going to do a great job with them once you know they're out there. But there's this great middle place of transition, right, for folks who are rethinking their faith and then looking at options. Absolutely. Yeah. And that kind of 
that kind of brings us into your book, Eric, and why you wrote it. Mm -hmm. And so um, I want to, we want to kind of get into that, but uh, you make available like the first 700 words of your book um, online. It's on the website. And where's the, what's the website URL? I'd rather than get it wrong and have you correct it. I'm just going to let you tell our listeners where the intro stuff to the book, because the book isn't coming out until September, right? That's the right. publication date. Right. It, it comes out September 13th with Harvest House Publishers. The website is introducingchristianity.com, one word. So it's the first two words of this title. And so it is written <laughs> yes. for the Christian, actually. It is written because so often, uh, and I did not find any other book out there that has the same kind of uh, angle I'm going at. I want to be able to explain Christianity with the Latter-day Saint presuppositions in mind. So we want to be able to understand how we can present the Christian faith, the, the doctrines that we believe, but do it where we don't have to uh, wonder what does the Latter-day Saint think I'm saying, to be able to understand the difference in meanings between the terms that we use, because we share a language. I mean, right. uh, a we terminology. Have, yeah. Yes. We have God and we have Jesus and we have scripture and we have all these words. And yet so many uh, Christians who don't understand what those words mean to a Latter-day Saint are going to have a very difficult time explaining biblical Christianity unless they can identify the difference. And that is a huge part of what this book is. And in fact, in the in the back, I actually have an appendix of the terms, the way that they're defined by the Christian, the evangelical Christian, and the way they're defined by the Latter-day Saint. And they are opposites in most cases. So yes. that's yeah. important for us to understand. So I just want to make that clear. If you're a Christian saying, oh, that's a book written for a Mormon. No, I, I wrote it. it. It should be information you have as far as who who is God, who is Jesus, what is salvation, the Trinity, those kinds of things. But how can I explain that to a Latter-day Saint so that I communicate what I mean and not what they are interpreting it to mean? Right. And so in other words, so, so the book is actually really designed to help Christians better understand Mormons and maybe some of the stuff they don't understand about Christianity. So at the moment to talk about it, the Christian has an informed conversation um, and has some of the culture and some of even the doctoral historical backgrounds mm -hmm. so they can accurately present it to the Mormon audience. Yeah. And I'll tell you how it came about. My daughter, my youngest daughter, Hannah, uh, was at, she was working as a uh, nurse at, at a, a place, a medical facility. And uh, she was talking to a Latter-day Saint who had left the church. And she said, I'm curious about what you believe. Do you have a book I could read that would explain to me what your faith is? And so Hannah came to me on that Saturday. I'll never forget. She came into my office. And so I, I have in my office a lot of books and I have a whole <laughs> They're there in the background. <laughs> and, if you're watching uh, on video. And, and, they, and they wrap all the way around. So I went over here to my bookshelf and I pulled out the Case for Christ and Cold Case Christianity and other books like that. There's a number of good books out there. And I said, um, yeah, in fact, I always give away the case for Christ. I like that because there's a chapter on, you know, the first chapters have to do with the Bible and, and its authority. So I would give that away, but it doesn't 
I, for a Latter-day Saint, I could see there being some confusion or Cold Case Christianity, great book by my friend Jay Warner Wallace. Uh, I don't know if that'd be the first book I would give. And I went through my Mormon section and there are good books. I mean, I've even written some on what is Christianity, like Mormonism 101, we wrote in 2015 with Baker Books, but it didn't really focus on what did Christianity teach. And, and so I told my daughter, I said, wow, this is a book that just needs to be written. And I didn't know that I was giving myself an assignment. But as I was mowing the grass that afternoon, I said, that really needs to be written. And, uh, and, and so I, I really feel that uh, this book was meant to be during the COVID year when we were shut down. We, we weren't able to travel and go to churches and other places. I yeah. had time. And I focused the next four to six months. I, I just worked on this book like crazy. You'll find very few quotes from Latter-day Saints, from what we generally do. If you look at our other books, Answering Mormon's Questions, Mormonism 101 and others, yeah. we, we, we focus a lot on the LDS quotes. We, we, I do a few uh, to be able to set the pace, but I am citing more uh, Christian theologians and, and other books to help me. I'm, it's not me just explaining what Christianity is. I'm using my brothers and sisters over the years. I'm using ancient writers as well as current writers to uh, help me explain what that Christian position is. And I think, I think uh, for a Christian who would read this, it would help them to remember what it is that we believe, or maybe they just don't know. I've had a lot of people say, what is it we believe? Well, you need to know what you believe or you're not gonna be able to share your faith with <laughs> yes. somebody else who is gonna confuse you and, and you're not gonna know what those differences are. You need to know what the genuine bill is, but you also need to know what the counterfeit is. And when you know those two together, like the Secret Service does when it's doing a currency, uh, you're able then to not only spot the fake, but you can actually present the genuine and explain the test that we can give to see if something is true or right. not. So being one that came to faith myself out of Mormonism by simply reading the Bible, I love that you start the book with the Bible. Tell us about that and why you did that. Well, I think that uh, if without a proper understanding of where God's word came from, that we're going to be floundering around. What do we use? We just use our own personal opinion. Do we use the opinion of social media? Our feelings. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> That's, well, and, and in, in uh, LDS theology, every Latter-day Saint knows Article 8. You know, Joseph Smith produced the Articles of Faith. The Bible is true as far as it is translated correctly. And when I, in, in uh, the first two chapters, I deal with that because I want people to understand that that's a misnomer. It's not really translation they're quibbling about. It's the transmission of the text. Well, how does the Bible stand up when it comes to the transmission of the text? I think it stands on its own. It is, as many others have said before me, the most accurate ancient text that has ever been given to us. And we have plenty of evidence. And that's what I wanted to show in those first two chapters, explaining why, uh, why the Old Testament with the Dead Sea Scrolls, the, the value of the Dead Sea Scrolls for us to be able to go back a thousand years before we, the earliest copies we had before 1947, uh, we, we were able to, to find these scrolls, including the entire scroll of Isaiah out of all the books. My friend Joel Kramer, an archaeologist, says if you were going to find one book that was dated 125 BC, which book in the Old Testament would you want? And Isaiah is the perfect book. And we have it. And we we're able to show that 
the Bible is transmitted correctly Old Testament wise and New Testament wise, the idea that we have close to 6,000 uh, Greek texts, 24,000 in other languages, we uh, have families of texts, we don't have the autographs, but when it comes to uh, when it comes to brass tax, neither does the Latter Day Saint. He doesn't have the autograph of the Book of Mormon. It's gone. You know the right. golden plates were the gold plates were taken away, and and uh, and so and, and there's been thousands of changes even to that. So so if you're going to quibble about not having the autographs, you've got the same kind of problem, I think. And and so that's I I, I think the Bible is a starting point for any conversation when you're talking to a Latter-day Saint, because I think we ought to be citing the Bible regularly in a conversation. We ought to be pointing to the scripture. And again, when we talk, use the word scripture, we need to know what we're talking about. For us as Christians, we're talking about the Bible. For Latter-day Saints, they do have extra scriptures and we need to understand they believe those are authoritative, but for having the uh, asterisk on only the Bible, the Bible only has that little asterisk as far as doubt. And I think for a lot of people who are transitioning out of Mormonism, the reason why they're not going to Christianity is they say, well, the Bible is not true. So what, why should I go over to Christianity? So I want them to start with the idea that the Bible is something that we can, uh, we can trust in, we can believe in, and little games that atheists will play, like the telephone game. You know, I, I talk about that in the book. Uh, you know, oh, you know, from one person to the next. Well, that's yeah. a complete misnomer and it's a terrible illustration for how we got the bible so if we can explain that to somebody in a in a way that makes sense then if they start trusting the bible i mean it's like it's like you lynn and your family i mean micah read the bible like a little child right well i mean he had the ability to do that and then he started to understand but a lot of latter-day saints who are leaving the church aren't even willing to read the bible as a little child because they just have so much doubt about it I don't want them to have doubt. And that's why two of the 10 chapters are on the Bible. Well, and I like to point out to them that where did they get that doubt? They learned that doubt from Mormonism. And so now if they're deciding that Mormonism needs to be re-looked at, then everything you learned in Mormonism needs to be looked at. And certainly the idea that the Bible's not reliable or can't be trusted is one of those huge issues that need to be struggled with. Um, you mentioned another one in the book uh, where we learned in Mormonism that if we're not true, you know, Mormonism is perfect, yeah. then nothing's true, right? And we address yeah, yeah. this in our book too, Leaving Mormonism. Yeah. Um, that's huge. Again, Mormons will say that to me yeah. <laughs> or former Mormons. And I'll say, where did you learn that? Maybe that yes. can be rethought as well. Yeah. I, and I think you're right on that. And I, I think the problem with uh, why people leave Mormonism and go to nothing at all. In fact, in Jana Reese's book, The Next Mormons, she says that 45% of all people who leave Mormonism, according to her survey, she put a lot of money into these surveys. And this is yes. an Oxford book. This is a scholarly book. 45% say they um, are going to atheism, agnosticism, or nothing at all. 22% say they're just Christian, but they haven't gone to any church or anything else. So that means... Uh, we have 66%, two thirds of all people who leave Mormonism go to nothing. And I think that's encouraged by, uh, well, I, I, one guy I think is John DeLynn, who has encouraged people to have doubts and just not believe anything. So you have all these people going to nothing and only less than 20% uh, are going to some kind of religion. About 10% 
according to Jana Reese, going to evangelical Christianity, one out of 10. That's not good. That's not enough. I don't want to see a Latter-day Saint just leave Mormonism for the sake of leaving Mormonism. If they're going to go to nothing, they might as well just stay in the church where they had a social network and they had something to go with. Right. I don't. I want them to leave because it's not true, and I want them to go toward what is truth. I we I have a saying: uh, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I can't tell you how many times I tell Latter-day Saints. You say, "Well, I'm just you know I'm just an agnostic. I don't really care." Well, did you ever love Jesus? Did you ever have a relationship? Oh yeah, at one time I did. Well, why are you throwing them away without at least considering what the Bible has to say about Jesus, what the Bible has to say about God, about how we can have a relationship with God? If it were true, wouldn't you want to know? I can't tell you how many people have told me they don't want to know, even if it were true. Well, I can't <laughs> help that. And that's a yeah, person that's, true. that's stone, yeah. stone hearted and I can't do anything. But most of the people will say, yeah, if it were true, I'd want to know. Okay, well, then there's going to take a little bit of work on your part to make this happen. I even think that most people that leave Mormonism, many of them who actually believed it, right, and believed in the Mormon Jesus at one time, go through this almost mourning stage to give up Jesus. And that's such a, it's such a critical stage for people to encounter Christians and for Christians to open their mouths about the reasons to believe in the Bible and the Jesus of the Bible. Now, the next thing you addressed, which I, I don't know, Joel, do you want to go there yet? Or do you want to stick with the Bible for a while? Well, we've only got about three minutes left in this oh, episode. Dear. So I had, I had one thing on the Bible that I wanted to ask Eric about when you talk about the Bible and when you talk about, because this presupposition about the Bible's not being translated correctly comes directly from Joseph Smith, right? That's something that's a decision he comes to. That's a conclusion he reaches. And I don't know if you cover in the book, the fact that it really wasn't unique to Joseph Smith. There are some people who think that, wow, Joseph was like either way ahead of his time or had this insight from God. But really, there was a whole group of people in that age of the 1820s, 1830s that are kind of doing the same thing. And they didn't have this wealth of manuscript evidence that we have. And so Joseph Smith doesn't even operate with the same set of factual data that we have today. And so I don't know if you bring some of that out, but I think for many Latter-day Saints, I don't think they necessarily understand the historical context from which this doubt arises and the fact that by 70, 80, 90 years later, there are these huge discoveries of manuscripts that let us see that that's a totally unfounded conclusion to even come to. And that's a great point, Joel. I mean, in the 19th century, look at the manuscripts that we have that are uncovered. The three most accurate New Testament manuscripts, Codex Vaticanus, which was yes. with the Vatican all these years, Codex Sinaiticus, a guy named Tischendorf uh, in the 1850s. Uh, he finds this in a, in the, on a monastery in Mount Sinai. Codex Alexandrinus, those three were not available to the translators of the King James Version. And today the, the LDS Church uses the King James Version. I don't have a problem with the King James for its time, originally translated in 1611. Uh, the latest translation was 1769. Uh, I don't know if a lot of Latter-day Saints know that. You can't really go to the 1611 and read it as easily as the 1769. But those, uh, those uh, versions 
are actually copied into the Book of Mormon. If the, the Bible can't be trusted, why did God think so highly of, of Matthew and Isaiah and other places to have it put directly into the most correct book of, of any on earth that he called the Book of Mormon? So, so I would say, I, I think you're making a great point that the manuscripts continue to have been exposed to us. And then, like I said, in 1947, we have the Dead Sea Scrolls, an incredible discovery to be able to help us know that the Bible, it, the, instead of showing that it's wrong and it's been translated poorly or transmitted poorly, that it actually is trustworthy. And if it's trustworthy, could it po be possible that this is God's way of communicating to man through a process for us to be able to understand what he wants us not to not only believe, but how to live? Yeah. yeah. Well, um, give us a little teaser for the next uh, episode because we're at time for this one. So Eric or Lynn, where do you think we should go with the next episode that we're going to have with Eric? Because, Well, the book goes next to reasons for the existence of God, which again is something we addressed in our book, Leaving Mormonism. I love that Eric has done it in an entire chapter, and then he goes on to the nature of God. I find it interesting that because I usually start with Jesus when I'm talking to people coming out of Mormonism, that he started with God. So I'm excited to hear about that next time. All right. That's that's where we're going to go then, Eric. So Sounds thanks good. so much for being with us. Thanks for writing this book. Uh, I think this is going to be an incredible tool for our listeners and for people who aren't our listeners. And so um, where give us again, just at the close here, um, where you can find information about the book, where you can find um, contact with yourself. Yeah, well, you can go to our website, introducingchristianity.com. The book is available as a pre-sell before September 13th. It's available on christianbook.com, amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, places where you would buy books. So you can buy it, pre-order it, and, and do that, or you can wait till it comes out. So I think that uh, that might be helpful for somebody who's anticipating a book like this to go on. Fantastic. And we'll include that with the show notes because we've got show notes that go with every episode, and so we'll make sure and put those links and that information in there. Sounds good. Grace and peace, my friends. Until next time. So long. Thanks so much for listening to the Unveiling Grace podcast. You can find show notes and leave us your comments and questions at unveilinggracepodcast.com. We would love to hear how the podcast has helped you. We are so grateful for you, our listeners, and the donations that keep us on the air. To say thank you, we are offering a free gift with a donation of any amount. Just go to unveilinggracepodcast.com and click on the free gift button to get yours. Thanks for joining us on the Unveiling Grace podcast, where you can experience a grace that heals. <laughs>